Bring your grappling hooks. This week, we're talking about cliffhangers. What shows do well and what shows felt like it was too soon to let go. Good day, everybody. Welcome to Writers Get Animated. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And we are talking about cliffhangers. So how do cliffhangers work? How do they do it well? We have a couple of examples for you. And if you did your homework from last week, you're up to speed. Boom. So. Also, we just have to lead off and tell everyone we have some unfinished business we have to talk about today. Nigel isn't. Nigel is not dead. One might say that at the end of our last episode, everything went back to normal. Like a bad cliffhanger. Everything is restored. Everything's restored back to how it was. What's different about that cliffhanger, though, is we're talking about it. That's true. It's kind of meta. Although Futurama does that a few times. Which is true. They do They do a great many things that way. So, um, for our cliffhangers, talking about cliffhangers as a whole... Um, not just in cartoon shows right now, but as a whole in society. There's definitely a big precedent for this in live-action shows. Um, Chris has made some excellent notes here. Well, one of the biggest ones in terms of a cliffhanger being a cultural event was who shot JR in this TV show, Dallas. I never watched Dallas. Me neither. My parents watched Dallas. And I remember that being, oh my gosh, who shot JR? It was just, he was this character that everyone loved to hate. And somebody shot him. And we didn't know who. And I've only just now, because of your notes, realized that who shot Mr. Burns is a play off of that. Just now? I had no idea. I knew that Dallas was a TV show. And a large city. And a large city. Where my uncle lived. Oh gosh, I'm hearing the theme song. It's in my head now. I've I've repressed it and it's coming back. Well, good for me. I have no idea what it is. Boom. It's not bad. It's just happening. What else is happening? Cliffhangers create an event. Which is true. And that's a happening. Um, and so it's something like... It's, it's not just to kind of drum up discussion about the show but also to make you feel passionate about the show and wonder what's going to happen next it's kind of gauging your interest in the story and making sure that those viewers come back yeah it's a very good monetary gamble um to say if we get a lot of people interested in this cliffhanger a lot of people will come back when we get ready to go again it's in fact so good of a gamble that we now have End-of-season cliffhangers, mid-season cliffhangers, mid-mid-season cliffhangers, third-quarter cliffhangers. There are too many cliffhangers. I'm tired of cliffhangers. As, as a rule, I'm tired of cliffhangers. Okay, so what kind of cliffhangers do you tolerate? Well, here's the thing. It's a huge thing if you're doing a, a season-ending cliffhanger. If you end your season on a cliffhanger... That's one of the most hubristic things that you could possibly do. You're assuming that you're going to come back. You're assuming that you're going to be back. Mm -hmm. And you ended on this cliffhanger expecting to be back the next season. And a lot of those people lose the gamble. And it's always sad when you lose the gamble. It is, especially for TV shows that you like. 
Darkwing Duck lost the gamble. But they also did the kind of cliffhanger that I hate. They did a very terrible cliffhanger. I think I remember this. Yeah, the a cliffhanger that doesn't complete an arc and just leaves it unfinished. Completely, completely unfinished. Mm-hmm. There's no resolution at all to anything. That's just, that's not good storytelling. Yeah. That's just annoying. Mm-hmm. And I know that they thought they were coming back, but guess what? Darkwing Duck didn't come back until years and years later in comic book form. Oh, okay. I was like, did I miss the show? What happened? Yeah, in comic books. Yeah. And I think that some shows do have a hubris about that, and it's okay. We'll talk today about The Simpsons. I think it's fair to say that in the first 10 seasons of The Simpsons, it was pretty obvious to assume they'd be back for a next season. They could get away with something like that. Yes, you're right. Uh, there's a lot of, I guess with, with um, I'm sorry, doing a lot of pauses today. I'm realizing I'm now I'm getting distracted in my pause. There's a lot of uh, dealing with ambiguity with cliffhangers because, like you said, there's a lot of um, shows that end on a note where everything isn't resolved. So that's type A of cliffhanger. Type B is everything's resolved. And here's another thing to look forward to. And I think type C of a cliffhanger is um, where everything's resolved, but there's an emotional cliffhanger. I would agree with that. I think for me, type B cliffhangers. I'm glad we gave it types. So now we can talk <laughs> about it. So type A, nothing gets resolved. Type B, things the arc gets solved, but some new thing gets created. Mm-hmm. And type C, which is everything's resolved, but there's an emotional thing that hangs out there. I think B and C are the better choices. Don't do A. Type A cliffhangers, I think, are just sloppy but they work well mid-season do they though i don't know i i like lost so yes they do work well mid-season that's not a cartoon though so we won't talk about that <laughs> no we won't as talk i'm getting about the shame face from chris over here i love lost um i just i i saw the episode <laughs> where there's a polar bear Oh, so the first episode. Is that the first episode? You saw the first episode. And then there's like an iteration. Yeah, you saw the first episode of Lost. Uh, Okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I remember there was a polar bear. Um, Yeah, so now we have type A, type B, and type C um, cliffhangers to talk about. Um, For our examples that we picked to discuss, we have a type A and we have a type B. And... It's worth mentioning some good type C's before we continue. Yes. Because some good cliffhangers that Chris and I both agree on are excellent, well done, and there's three cliffhangers in this series, and they're all emotional cliffhangers. Futurama, which got canceled how many times? I think they're at their fourth. Fourth time officially? I think their fourth official. <laughs> and three of, those t- three of those times had type C emotional cliffhangers. And the fourth one we won't talk about, I think, to be fair, was a Type B cliffhanger. No, it was a Type A. It was a Type A. They're fleeing in the spaceship at the end of the last movie. You're right. 
Yeah. Fleeing in the spaceship. Yeah, the wild green yonder. Yeah. Yeah, that's a type. That's a type A. And that was my least favorite end to the series. Because it's type A. Yeah. I, and it's funny to say my least Not favorite Taipei. end to the series. It sounds Taipei. like I'm saying Taipei. Taipei, the city. But I It's the city Taipei. of Taipei. The whole episode takes place in Taipei. It's actually not animated. It's just GoPro cameras. Oh my gosh. We should write an episode of something and have it take place in Taipei and have a type A cliffhanger at the end of it. That'd be too meta for our audience of two people. Hi, mom. <laughs> but future, what makes Futurama great about it is they are following that character arc. They're going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, they end it. And they treated every season as their last. Eventually. Eventually. <laughs> um, the Devil's Hands are idle playthings, which was their first cancellation. Mm-hmm. What, it, it's a brilliant episode. I don't know if anything ever really tops it. I think it's probably the best episode of Futurama. It's Their original last episode was their best episode. There's just something where every character gets something. It goes complete and you feel this emotional growth that happens and will continue through. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it still holds up wonderfully. Yeah. I remember seeing it and saying, wait, was this the last Futurama <laughs> ever? Is this? And there was it, a time when it was. It was. For a long time. And what it, it, it felt okay. Like, emotionally, I felt okay because they told it. It wasn't a story that had continued through the whole season. So it was, a, it could have stood on its own. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it did for the longest time. And then the third time they got canceled, I think they kind of, it was like a middle in the story. If the story arc is these three cliffhangers, the third time they got canceled of the fourth of the four times it got canceled, the middle one in this case, of the three we're talking about. If you're writing down numbers I'm, at home. I'm, I'm, the, <laughs> I'm here right now. I'm, I've, I've lost you. The Are you second talking? Futurama cliffhanger we're talking about in this emotional arc. Wild Green Yonder. No. no. The um, Overclocked, I think it was. Overclockwise. Something like that. Overclockwise, yes. Which was the last one they produced to be aired in that... First time they were back in like a regular season of TV. On Comedy Central. On Comedy Central. Um, but they ended up not airing it last because they got renewed. And they aired like a anthology episode instead last. Um, but in Naturama, that, I believe. Yeah, Naturama. Bender gains like these omni- omniscient powers and writes down the story of Leela and Fry. And there's this very moving scene where Leela and Fry are reading at the end and they're crying and smiling and slapping each other. And it's kind of this unspoken, like, the characters have their story finished, and we don't know it, but they know it. So it's a little bit more moving that arc forward. And then the third time, the final time... (laughs) The final time. The final time they got canceled. The actual last episode of Futurama, if you don't count Simpsons-rama. Yeah, ever. Simpsons-rama. So far. Until the next time they're brought back and canceled again. Um, we have a very, I think, final emotional cliffhanger. Fry and Leela live out their lives to old age, trapped in a time bubble. And at the end, they get the chance to kind of forget what they've done and go back to the point where they 
were begin being trapped in the time bubble. So they've lived and, a satisfying emotional life, and they get to go back and just know, even though they won't remember, that they'll get to do that again. Satisfying type C cliffhanger. Amazingly satisfying. I felt good after it. And scene. It's called catharsis. Yes. That's what, that's what it it's is. It's the, the Greek word for when you feel the good feels. And they're all and they're all natural and they're there. Organic good feels. Yes, organic good feels. None of those grass fed. The only one that felt forced was the type A. Yeah. None of those other ones feel forced because you're completing something. If if you're actually tying an end on it, if you have something that just continues to trail off, it's okay to have that tail because the story ends, but the world continues. Mm-hmm. And I think when you've transformed a world, it's good to show us where this transformed world is heading. And then we can extrapolate and have our own thing to show that, yes, this will go on. So while we don't like that type A cliffhanger in Futurama, let's switch gears and talk about another Matt Greening property, The Simpsons, which has a type A cliffhanger that we, at least I think I'm speaking for you, that <laughs> Go ahead. we both really enjoy. Yes. And I think the entire world of the 90s enjoys. The Who Shot Mr. Burns episodes, the 25th episode of season six, which was part one, um, which aired in May 1995, and then the season premiere of season seven, which aired in September of that same year. Mm. Um, And this did create an event. I think this is my only memory of 1995. Well, there was... um, at this point, I was getting Simpsons Illustrated, mm. the magazine. So I was very much into Simpsons at this point. I still am into Simpsons at this mm. point. But what I'm saying is, like, I was really into it. So they were, we were going through it and got to see the, um, the contest about it. There was, you saw it on TV, Who Shot Mr. Burns. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. Mm. There was a um, lead up. There was... But advertising the, in the middle. What was interesting is the the secrecy of the story and the way that nobody knew the real, only a select few of people knew the real answer. And they had to animate several things or do several storylines so people thought that they knew the answer. If something got leaked, then it would be, oh, it's that. That's not the real thing. And only one person was really animating the final <laughs> scene so people could know. Um, but there was a first part of secrecy. The internet was very much in its infancy, which helps in two ways. One, because it was young mm-hmm. and fresh and new. Um, the secrecy could be held. Yeah. They could keep it a secret. Things were not moving nearly as fast. And I'm going to say, I'm assuming number two is that things don't move nearly as fast. We had that lovely dial-up sound. You had to wait five minutes to even get on the internet. If your parents didn't pick up the phone. If they, yeah. Mom, I'm on the phone! (laughs) And then you have the second side of it, which is the fact that now people can actually get information about it through the internet. So you're having people use the internet... 
but it's still so young that as they're using the internet, nobody's getting spoilers. Mm. There's no Simpsons Reddit thread at the time. Right. There's no collective place. You're right. You're right. So it's not... You're, you, it's, you're able to get the information out, but you're able to control it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, what was interesting about this is this was the first time The Simpsons had an episode where the end of one directly influenced the beginning of the next. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that some things didn't carry over because there were several events that did carry over. Sideshow Bob and Krusty and everything that were, they have, as the doctor would say, fixed points in time. <laughs> Sideshow Bob is a fixed point in time. He's a fixed systems. point in time. <laughs> Even though he's been trying to kill a 10-year-old boy for 24 years, he is a fixed point in time. One day he'll succeed. He does. Well, not it's a not in canon, yeah. it's Treehouse of Horror. But, <laughs> anyway, the world does not reset. And what, what's interesting about it, when you're working with the, the storytelling of it, you're deciding that, hey, we should do this event. We should have this be an event. And you're writing based on the cliffhanger. And that's what you're writing towards. You're constantly going through and saying, we're trying to, we want Mr. Burns to get shot. And then you're writing everything to do it. So you're having to think of every possible thing that could happen, mm-hmm. every possible suspect, and then giving every suspect um, a reasonable reason to commit it. Yeah. And there's a lot of red herrings. Like part of The Simpsons' joy is how meta it is. And there's a lot of, like, even watching it now, like they just have fun as writers misdirecting the audience in different areas. And in retrospect, watching it again for this, like it, if you know what's going to happen, the clues are there, the arc is there. It absolutely is there. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. They had to make sure that the right answer is obvious, it's in plain sight, but they give you enough distraction, like the Senor Burns song. Oh, Senor Burns. Um, Brilliant. Which they didn't realize when they wrote the song, they didn't realize that Tito Puente was a drummer <laughs> and not a singer. So they, they were like, yeah, and Tito Puente will sing it. Like, he's the drummer. <laughs> Tito does not sing. <laughs> Sorry, Senor Puente does not sing. Uh, Lo siento. He does it the drums. Tito drums, okay. Tito drums. Tito drums. I'm doing drum motions. Yeah. Not very well. It's more like a mouse wanting cheese. That's what my drumming looks like? That's what I think. It's oh. like kind of curled hands. Yuck. Um, but there's enough distraction <laughs> <laughs> to distract you from the real answer. And they do also make fun of the answer. Yeah. I mean, it is one of the more meta episodes of The Simpsons that's out there. I'm thinking. I said one of the. <laughs> I did not say the. Okay. Because they are commenting, and, and they do return to that concept of, you know, it would have made more sense if this person have, had done it. They yeah. do say that in a later episode, way way down the line. But, hey, remember when this person shot Mr. Burns? 
yeah, we thought it was you. Well, that would have made more sense. You know, they're, they're always yeah. commenting on it. And, and it's something that's... And Maggie's the gun nut now. Anytime they need someone to have a gun, it's Maggie. Right. They even do that in the movie, I think. She gets like a rifle and defends them in Alaska or something. You're right. It's all a character point now. Mm-hmm. It's a fixed point in time. It's not wibbly-wobbly. Nor is it timey-wimey. Neither of these things are true. So they did really well because they they were able to adhere to the form, make fun of the form, oh, yeah. play with the form. So they they made... They made as much fun of it as they had fun with it. It's a good way to put it. So, I like it. Yeah, I mean, the second part I think doesn't quite hold up as much watching it. Well, anytime you give an answer, it's hard for it to stand up. Well, I mean, when you know the answer, like they spend half the episode playing with misdirection. Well, in a I lot guess, of ways, it's like the first. 20 minutes of the movie Ghost Dad, starring Bill Cosby. The, sh- the movie... Uh, l- let me say this sentence, and then I'll be done with <laughs> talking about Ghost Dad. Hopefully. I No, I seriously will be done talking about Ghost Dad. I'm knocking on wood. <laughs> the movie is called Ghost Dad, so you know this person has to die. So the first 15 minutes is playing with, how is this man going to die and become... A ghost dad. It's hilarious. It's the only part of the movie that is. I will. I'm done with that. So, if you know, if you are aware, and you have that awareness, then yes. Now we're going to give you the answer. But before we do, we're going to play around with this and and stir it up, stir up the pot. So now we have. A good type A cliffhanger. Yes. And we have a good type C cliffhanger. Let's talk about type B, which we both profess normally we like, where it wraps up the arc. Yes. And then shows you a preview of something new. And the world continues. The world continues. We will talk about a show that really engrossed me while I was watching it, and I really love it. And I still love it, but the, the ending for me doesn't do it. And that's Young Justice. Um, this is a great show from, it was on Cartoon Network? Cartoon Network. Not too long ago, maybe 2010. like... 2010. It wasn't that long ago? Mm-hmm. I lied to you, audience, I'm sorry. 2010 through 2012-ish? Mm-hmm. Um, Chris clearly does the homework and I don't, <laughs> um, as we're learning this episode. Um, and Young Justice is a... I think the whole show is like an ongoing drama. It is the lost of cartoon shows. There's always something new happening and a new mystery. Um, And each episode kind of feeds into the next one, oftentimes more directly than indirectly. And it's hard to keep track of characters and where they are between episodes. Because each episode also gets like a date and time tag to tell you what day it is. And the arc of the show from the premiere is... Um, July 4th of 2010 is when the in-show day of the premiere is. And the in-show day of the final is July 4th, 2016. And there's... Most of the show is in 2010 at the beginning and in 2016 at the end. And there's a five-year gap in the middle. Um, So, arc-wise, we go one full calendar year, but not in one 
year, if that makes sense. It does make sense. We cool. live through Good. a year. We live not... through a year, yeah. Right. Um, and in the end, there's a big lead-up. A lot of the plot points pay off. Um, we find out who the bad guys are orchestrating everything. The Justice League are on trial for the entire second season, and we have to prove them innocent. Um, and then there's a big alien invasion of Earth, and there's a mystery surrounding the Blue Beetle, and it all comes together in a nice little 42-minute-ish package um, where they unravel everything. And then where it gets me is that the end is like, oh, here are all the unfinished plot points in one room, Vandal Savage going up and shaking the hand of Darkseid, who we see for the first time, and is a big bad, one of my favorites. And just like, oh, okay. Um, business as usual indeed, end of show. And for me, introducing like the ultimate bad guy of the DC Universe is a hard way for me to see a show I love canceled. Because there's a lot of expectation there. I'm sure... Here's the thing. You didn't realize that the show is going to be canceled when you watched that, right? I think it had been canceled before that last episode aired. Yes, but did Mackenzie Worrell yeah. know that yeah. it had been canceled? Yes. So you know that that episode was going to be the last episode ever of Young Justice. Yes. You did. I did. And watching it then, you were disappointed with it. Yeah. Watching it now, you're disappointed with it. Yeah. I knew it was the last episode, and I really liked it. Fine. Here, listen, let me tell Counterpoint, you. Counterpoint, go. Here, here's the thing. When you, when you watch episode one of Young Justice, they set up this world, and a lot is happening, and you have no idea what's going on. You feel like you've missed two seasons of a TV show <laughs> when you see episode one <laughs> of Young Justice. Plots are going. There, things are happening. Things have been established, and you're you're trying to figure out. Wait, am am I actually watching episode one of this, or have I missed something? No, you are actually watching episode one. That's fair. So they completely start you in the middle and just don't give you a lot of answers, and it's your job to figure out what relationships are, what's going on, what's happening, what's the world. They expect you to know character names. They expect you to know who certain people are or to just go with it. And then certain answers will be given as you go through the show. Yeah, it is not an origin story heavy show. No. It expects you to have not even moderate knowledge of the DC Universe, but intermediately in-depth knowledge. Right. Blue Beetle, main character. Blue Beetle is not a superhero you think of when you hear the word DC. No. No. I did like him in... There was an episode of Smallville where they had Blue Beetle, which was fun. Well, they're incorporating now because he used to be a different publisher. Now he's part of DC. Anyway. No, I know, story. but I'm just saying. I, I'm I sharing like him. with He audience. did really well. He did really well. I'm giving the origin story for our audience, so we're not the Young Justice of Podcasts. Now, <laughs> what happens in those... I watched the final two episodes, episode 19 and 20, those two guys. Um, what's great about it is we do solve the biggest mystery that started way back episode one. We, a lot of people are revealed, things are, um, villains are exposed, people are triumphant, people die. A lot of stuff goes down like a good series finale does. Um, and 
What's interesting about the storytelling that DC does is a lot of character arc because you have so many characters, and that's the one thing that I think Young Justice has not going for it is that <sighs> it has so many characters that it's hard to give any of them. You feel like you're short shrifting all of them. I love it. I, I, I didn't say it's bad. I'm saying the one thing it doesn't have going for it is the fact that it's just so full of characters that sometimes all you have are three lines to be able to give some information. Yeah. And you, you, the person watching, has to bring your emotion to it. And all you get, really, a main character who was there from season one dies. Mm-hmm. And you have to... There, there are literally five lines. I can't say literally five lines. There were somewhere around five <laughs> lines that describe what's going on. And a lot of it is done through um, looks and gesture and that's all you get you don't get a lot of story for that character and it's a pretty big arc i think looks and gesture do contribute to the story they absolutely do they absolutely do which is why when they ended it and they tied up and characters went their opposite ways and did everything um it felt right that the story was ended and it put a nice period on that sentence that being said when we move out and get dark side at the end yeah showing that there's this new alliance that the villain is not really dead and in fact the villain is making a more dangerous partnership than ever before that says something about how the world has changed and that's why I like it. I don't necessarily need to know the story of Darkseid, what's going to happen. I just know, if I have my knowledge from DC, that, oh my gosh, they've been through heck, and they've lived through all this, and now something even worse is coming. Are you going to go that's write fan exciting. fiction? I'm not going to write fan fiction. I don't have to write the fan fiction. I might write fan fiction. Go ahead and write the fan fiction. Okay. We don't you. need to know that story because we know that they made it through this and we know who they are now. And we know that they can probably handle Darkseid. Probably. Probably. But it's important that it's not an... They didn't go the Marvel way and do an end credits tag or button. So... Yeah. Which I, I think those are cliffhangers in a different way, which I think are cheap. No, I mean, I think it's along the lines of the type B cliffhanger. Like, it is. Wrap up the arc. Here's a little bit more. Right. Like the end of Avengers where you get Thanos. You know, that's... That's like a great cliffhanger, though. You don't like it. I, I didn't say I didn't like it. I, I, I'm likening... You li- so you like showing Thanos... But you don't like showing Dark Side. Well, because I know there's more of Avengers. And that's your problem. There's you you want to actually see them finish that story. I arc. do. I want it. But you don't need it though. I you need it like need I it. need. I don't have a good metaphor. Like I need to hear from our audience. With our three cliffhanger types, type A, type B, and type C, what are your opinions? Do you have a favorite? Does one work better than another? Let us know. 
Writers get animated.tumblr.com, at WGAnimated on Twitter, and also on Facebook. One day we'll learn what our Facebook address is and actually say it. We also have some unfinished business before we go away. We do. If you listened last week, you heard us talking about Elf and Elves, and by we, I mean mostly me asking Chris what he thought. Um, I have looked up on Grammarist.com, which is one of my go-to resources, not even kidding, um, this definition of Elfs versus Elves. To be clear, that's E-L-F-S, V-S period, E-L-V-E-S. According to Grammarist.com, as plurals of elf, both elves and elves have long histories in English, and there's plenty of precedent for both. But elves has always been the more common form by far, and it remains so to this day. In 21st century edited writing, it appears many times more often than elves. The latter form, moreover, is mostly shunned by English reference books and doesn't pass spellcheck for what it's worth. Elf differs from dwarf, which has two plurals, one for the real world, dwarfs, and one for fantasy worlds, dwarves. Here's where this gets good. The difference is these plurals. Um, the difference in these plurals is useful because it distinguishes a varied collection of fantasy creatures from a varied group of real people, some of whom perhaps wouldn't wish to be associated with the fantasy creatures. The case of elf is different because there are no real life elves, so we don't need to. So we have no need for a down-to-earth form to distinguish real people from fantasy creatures. And that is Elf versus Elves. Thank you, Grammars.com. We will send that out on all of our social media so you too can enjoy the wonderful webpage that defines Elf versus Elves for everybody. Homework time. Next time, you are going to marvel at our... Do we want to say it? What it's going to be? I think we do. You will get to hear the unaired pilot episode of Writers Get Animated, in which we discuss unaired pilots. (laughs) So, your homework is to go out, check out the unaired pilots of regular show and the real Ghostbusters. They're online. You can find them. A couple articles. Check it out. That's what we'll be talking about next time. As always, thanks to Nigel Cotino, our engineer, and Jacob Reed for our theme music. Um, Catch us online. Let us know what you think about cliffhangers. We will see you next time. If you enjoy the podcast, find us, review us, like us on iTunes, and subscribe. We ended this one like five times, like Return of the King. That has eight endings. Well, we had a reverse cliffhanger with this episode in that there's nothing left that you want after this one. You're all satisfied. Good night, everybody. (laughs) 